You are listening to the Bristow Advent Christian Church Podcast. Visit us on the web at bristowacc.net. Thank you for listening. Again, good morning. It is <laughs> it's a beautiful morning that the Lord has blessed us with out there today. Uh, good to be here with you this morning in the house of the Lord as we stand at the cusp of uh, Camp 2022. Karen's fanning herself back here because it's been a rough week, hasn't it? There's been a lot of work going into it. Praise God for hands and backs that do that, that work. And thank you for all those who've had a hand in it and will have a hand in it. You know, if, if, if you have a chance, get out there uh, at some point in time throughout the week. Uh, maybe come in for supper or evening service or come in for an evening service. Get out there and be a part of it. If you can't be a part of it, at least be praying for it. Uh, be praying for safety. Be praying that this cold front that's supposed to be there sometime Thursday comes in about Monday. Amen. Amen, because it's going to be hot up until it comes through. But we're flip-flopping some stuff around, you know, where we're trying to keep the campers safe. And we'll, I'll be continuously reminding them to be hydrating. But uh, thank God for this, this week to come. But before that time, we've got the, a message this morning that the Lord has, has blessed us with as we continue this week in our series of Marks of a Mighty Church. So this will be part three we go in today. And next Sunday, we will have a praise and worship time and just a recap of camp and kids will sing. And if you didn't get a chance to get out, you'll get a chance to have a taste of all that. Uh, it's, there's like 75 or something other in the high school choir. It, oh, my gosh. <laughs> We're going, they're going to take the roof off of the facility up there, but uh, hopefully it's good and nailed down here. But uh, Next Sunday we'll do that. But today we're going to look at Marks of a Mighty Church Part 3. If you go ahead and turn to today's text, it is uh, Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I'll give you just a second to turn to that. When somebody gets there, give me an amen. Some of you guys are cheating. I know you're getting there before. You see it in the bulletin, because I can't find it that fast. But I've got, oh, okay, cancel that. As I said, it's a beautiful day out and a beautiful day to be together here in the house of the Lord this morning. As always, I'm thankful and blessed for the opportunity that God has given to me to stand before you and share His Word with you today. Thankful for God's amazing grace and for His love and His never-ending chasing after us to bring us home. I'm thankful uh, for this week that's coming. I'm thankful that God sees fit to use us in any way, shape, or form that He does I'm going to give you a heads up today. I'll probably cry three or four times throughout this message. I've been, I'm on the verge of tears all day. Uh, I believe as I get older that there's a state of brokenness that we must live in. I believe that there's a state of brokenness where God can and will use us. Uh, it is so easy to get hard-hearted in this society. It is so easy to turn a blind eye to the things around us. And I, I believe fully that God uses that brokenness in a mighty, mighty way. So if I go to balling this morning, it's okay. I'm not mad at you. You didn't disappoint me in any way, shape, or form. Just that God has got me in a state of brokenness before this all starts. That I'm, I'm, I think God's going to move in a mighty way. I told Tony back in the fall, winter last year, I said, Tony, this is going to be a huge camp. Last I heard it was like 194. That's people that will be sleeping on there. Uh, I think God's going to move in a mighty way. And I'm thankful that he has chosen us to be a part of him moving in a mighty way. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 4, verse 13 and 18. Somebody did give me an amen, didn't they? Okay, all right, stick your finger there. We'll get to reading that in just a little bit. But uh, Part 3 of Marks of a Mighty Church. This week, a mighty church, according to Paul's text, from, we're going to read here in a little bit in Thessalonians, uh, eagerly awaits, number one, the return of Christ. Amen. And number two, the resurrection of believers. And number three, the reunion of believers. And point number four we're going to look at today, the rewards of the kingdom. Uh, there's a story about a novice preacher. He was just starting out and trying to find a church. He went to candidate at this one church. It's a small country church. Uh, he was a little bit nervous, and after about 10 minutes into his sermon, his mind went blank. That happens quite a bit up here because I often have to ask you, where was I? His mind went blank, and he remembered what his professors told him. One of his professors taught him in the situations like that when this happens. He said, he said simply, repeat your last statement with emphasis. The professor taught him that this avoids awkward silences and helps to jog your memory. So, stepping up to the side of the pulpit, the, the preacher repeated himself, the last line that he had said, Behold, I come quickly. Still, his mind was blank. So he stepped to the other side of the pulpit, and he said, Behold, I come quickly. Just then, as he was making his way back to the pulpit, his foot got tangled up in the microphone cord. He stumbled down the steps and fell into the laps of a little old lady who sat in the front row. The young preacher turned bright red and stood up, and he was apologizing sheepishly. And the little lady turned to him and stood up and said to him, That's all right, young man. She said, It's my fault. You told me three times that you were coming. <laughs> Jesus has likewise assured us more than once that he's coming. The second coming of Christ is something to which the, the Thessalonian church was eagerly looking forward to. That church in Thessalonica, as we've looked at the past three weeks, was a, an outstanding and an exemplary church. Paul praises the churches in chapter, the church in chapter 2 and 3 last week. We looked at them, and, and they were a scriptural church, they were a suffering church, and they were a strong church. And back as we started this in week 1, uh, in chapter 1, Paul praises them for being an energetic church an elect church, an evangelistic church, and an expectant church. They were an expectant church because they were eagerly looking forward to and eagerly anticipating the coming of God's Son. Now in the second half of our text today, in chapter 4 and the first part of chapter 5, Paul expands on that idea. He really brings that idea home for the church there uh, that, they, that they had this to look forward to. And that's what mighty churches do. They looked forward to the coming of Christ for every generation. And churches today can still look forward to that. So if you're at that passage today, uh, go ahead and stand and we'll read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And Paul writes again, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves, 
Then, together with them, we who are all still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Father, thank you for your word today, and thank you for the encouragement that lies within this writing of Paul to the church in Thessalonica today, Lord. Father, there are all folks that we've lost, Lord, and all folks that we are eager to, to get back together with, Lord, in that kingdom. Lord, we're thankful for Jesus and your promise, Lord, that he is coming back again. I pray your, your blessing upon your word today, Father. I pray that you would bless our reading of it and our understanding of it, Father. I pray that our hearts and our minds would be open to your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that through your will and through your word, Lord, you would guide us and direct us on this path you've called us to in life. Lord, we bring you honor. We bring you praise. Lord, we bring you glory this day and every day. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage that we have read today, Paul identifies those four points of emphasis that we want to look at today on the second coming for, that we as Christians can anticipate. And again, point number one we're going to look at today, a mighty church can anticipate, number one, Christ's return. Paul tells us in, in, in 4.16, he says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel, archangel and with the trumpet of God. And Revelation adds this, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him in Revelation 1-7. Let me read that again. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Just imagine. Just imagine that you're driving along in your car. You're driving home after church service today. Driving out there, you're, you're thinking about maybe what's for lunch, thinking, man, that preacher is a long-winded individual. Your thoughts wander to the game that you may want to see or the meal that you may want to eat when suddenly there's a sound. Suddenly there's a sound unlike any other you've ever heard and it fills the air. The sound is high above you. Is it a trumpet? Is it a choir? Is it a choir of trumpets? You don't know, but you want to know. So you pull over. You get out of your car and you look up. And as you do, you see you're not the only curious one. The, road the roadside has become a parking lot. Car doors open, and people are staring up at the sky. Shoppers are running out of the grocery store. There's a Little League baseball game that was taking place across the street, and it has come to an abrupt halt. Players and parents are standing there, and they're searching the sky, and they're looking at the clouds. And what they see, and what you see, has never been seen before. It's as if the sky were a curtain and the drapes of the atmosphere have parted. A brilliant light spills onto the earth followed by an endless fleet of angels. Thousands of silvery wings rise and fall in unison. And all over the sound of trumpets, you can hear the cherubim and the seraphim as they, chout, as they chant, Holy Holy, holy. And suddenly, everything stops. Suddenly, everything comes to a halt. The trumpets are silent. All is quiet. The angels stop. The angels turn. You turn. The world turns. And there he is. There's Jesus. Through waves of light, you see a silhouetted figure of the Christ, the King. Before you stands a figure so consuming, 
so beautiful, so majestic that you know instantly, you know instantly nothing else matters. Forget about the stock markets and the school reports, the sales meetings and the football game. Nothing else is newsworthy. All that matters, all that mattered before matters no more, for Christ has come. Will it be like that exactly? I don't know. But I know this, that my words can do it no justice. I do know it will be glorious. I do know that when Christ comes, that everyone will know it. And everyone will see it because the Bible tells us that every eye will see and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And everyone will be amazed by Jesus. Mighty churches anticipate the return of, of Jesus, number one. And furthermore, mighty churches anticipate the resurrection, point number two. Paul assures the Thessalonians that the believers who have died will rise from their graves in verse 16. Of course, the resurrection raises a whole classroom full of questions in itself. Paul anticipated those questions. And in his letter to the Corinthians, he writes this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, when he says, But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? Thankfully, Paul not only asked that question, he answers that too. He compared the resurrection to a seed that is buried in the ground before sprouting new life in 1 Corinthians 15, 42. And he says this, It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. He then describes some of the specific... I'm glad there's nobody in the front row today because I'm spitting all over the place. He, he describes some specific changes that we'll experience in our resurrected, resurrected bodies. He says this, We will go from perishable to imperishable. We will go from dishonor to glory, from weakness to power, and from a natural body to a supernatural body. Won't that be wonderful? Won't that be wonderful to have a body like that? I, I was sitting back there thinking as I'm going through stuff in my mind, and I know, Claire, you got some bad knees. I was thinking, I'm going to challenge Claire to a foot race. Not now, but in that time. And she'll probably beat me because she looks like she's probably pretty fast when she wants to be, and I'm old, fat, and slow. But that's the way it's going to be. All these things that hurt and all these things that have broken down will all be made new. Won't that be wonderful to have a body like that, a body that never gets old? A body that never gets tired. A body defined by power and glory. What exactly does that body look like? What, what exactly is this body of power and glory? Again, I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know this, my words cannot do it justice. I know this, like the Thessalonians, I'm looking forward to finding out. Mighty churches eagerly await the resurrection and point number three, mighty churches can look forward to a great reunion. Paul's purpose for bringing up the resurrection seems to be the Thessalonians' concern for their lost loved ones. Again, he writes this, he says, We want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. When Jesus returns, God will bring back with Him the believers who have died. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds in verses 13 through 17. When we lose someone we love, the hope 
of that reunion. The hope of reuniting with them can be a great comfort. One of my favorite Christian musicians is Stephen Curtis Chapman. And one of my favorite songs by him is titled, Heaven is the Face. Anybody heard that other than me? I bet you probably have. There's a sad story behind that song. In May of 2008, police and emergency personnel were rushed to the Chapman home where Stephen's teenage son had backed out of the driveway unaware that his five-year-old sister Maria, who had been adopted from China, was playing right behind the car. She was crushed beneath one of the real wheels. She died later that day at Vanderbilt University uh, Medical Center in Nashville. If you haven't seen the Larry King live interview with Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife right after that, I strongly, I strongly encourage you to do that. YouTube it. YouTube it because it is a powerful testimony. When Stephen Curtis Chapman finally returned to the recording studio many months later, this is what he wrote. He said, Heaven is the face of a little girl with dark brown eyes that disappear when she smiles. I can hear it in my head as a song, but I can't sing very well, so I won't burst your ears. He said, Heaven is the place where she calls my name and says, Daddy, please come play with me for a while. Then the chorus is this. It says, God, I know it's all of this and so much more. But God, you know that this is what I'm aching for. But God, you know, I just can't see past the door. So right now, heaven is a sweet maple syrup kiss. And a thousand other little things that I miss where they're gone. Heaven is a place where she takes my hand and get this, and leads me to you and we both run into your arms. Oh God, I know it's so much more than I can dream. It's far beyond anything I can conceive. So God, you know I'm trusting you until I see heaven in the face of my little girl. Who do you long to see when Christ returns? In addition to family and friends, we'll be able to meet believers from, from every era. There's that one song that, that, that says we'll stand with 10,000 generations of saints and we'll sing in unison, holy, holy, holy. We will praise the Lord with generation after generation after generation of those who have come before us. We may be standing next to Abraham Lincoln. You may be standing next to, next to George Washington. You may be standing next to Peter, Paul, and Mary. That's the disciples, not the singing group. The point is this. Mighty churches look forward to that reunion. And finally, point number four for today. Mighty churches look forward to our reward. There's a story about a man named Fred. And Fred arrived at the pearly gates. And he was just a little bit nervous about being admitted into the, into the kingdom. And very quickly, he found himself standing right in front of an impressive angelic being with a clipboard. He says, Fred, it would help me in this process if you could share with me some experience of your life on earth. Tell me about a time when you did something purely unselfish, a kindly deed. And, 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 and Fred said this. He thought about it for a minute. He said, oh yeah, I've got one. He said, one day... 
I was walking along and I came upon a little old lady. And she was being harassed mercilessly by a huge motorcycle gang type of fella. Said he was big and covered in tattoos. and He was just pestering the far out of her. And I, I stepped right in there in, front of, in the middle of him. And first I walked over there and I pushed over his motorcycle just to make sure I had his attention. And then I kicked him real hard in the shins and I turned to the little old lady and I said, go run get some help. And the angel looked at him and replied, wow, that certainly qualifies. Could you tell me when this happened? And Fred looked at his watch and said, oh, about three minutes ago. Thankfully, if we've put our faith in Jesus, we won't have to prove our worth to get a reward. Rather, Paul assures us this in chapter 5, verse 10, Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when He returns, we can live with Him forever. He states it with even more emphasis in, in, verses, in chapter 4, verse 17. He said, we will be with the Lord forever. This is the hope. This is the, the blessed hope of every believer. Life without end. Life everlasting. Life without limits. All throughout Jesus' ministry. He has promised one thing that nobody else could offer. Eternal life. That's what Jesus came into this world to declare. He declared boldly, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly in John 10.10. Jesus speaks here of both quality and quantity of life beyond measure. This life has its limits, doesn't it? This life has its letdowns. Sometimes this life ain't all it's cracked up to be. But the life that Jesus offers, the life that Jesus offers and the life that Jesus gives will never disappoint. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more sadness or seizures, no more boredom, no more bounce checks or bad moods, no tantrums, tedium, or terrorists. Clear mind, tireless muscles, unhindered joy. Another translation puts us this in the message. It says, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they could ever dreamed of. This is the reward the Thessalonians so eagerly awaited. Paul wanted the Thessalonian church to see the coming of Christ as an encouragement. Jesus is returning. Whether or not it happens during our lifetime, we will be reunited with fellow believers of every age and rewarded with eternal life in the company of Christ. In the meantime, our job is to be prepared. Our job is to be about the business that the Lord has entrusted to us. Paul cautioned this. He said, concerning how and when all of this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you, for you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, we have looked at the church in 1 Thessalonians and how Paul was so glowingly and flowing with, with, with encouragement for them, telling them what a great job they were doing. Do you realize the time frame between 1st and 2nd Thessalonians? It's two months. So, in the span of two months when Paul sent the first letter to the Thessalonian church to the second letter of the church, things had fallen apart a little bit. That's why we've got to be diligent, folks. Things can turn like that. In that time frame, Paul went from, you guys are doing a great job, to 
wait a minute now. You didn't quite hear what I said to you. That's why we got to be diligent. That's why we gotta, we got to bathe everything in prayer. That's why we got to bathe everything in love. Let me wrap this up. While on the South Pole expedition, British explorer Sir Ernest Shackelford left a few men on Elephant Island, promising them that he would return. Later, as he was set to return, as he was going to go back and pick them up, there were huge icebergs that blocked the way. But suddenly, as if by some miracle, an avenue opened up in the face and Shackelford was able to get through. His men were ready, and they were waiting, and they quickly scrambled aboard. No sooner had the ship picked up the men and made its way through the island than the ice crashed together again behind them. Now, as they were thinking about their narrow escape, and they were breathing and wiping the sweat off their heads after they got out of that, he said to his men, he said, It was fortunate that you were all packed and you were all ready to go. They replied this, they said, We never gave up hope. We never gave up hope. Whenever the sea was clear of ice, we rolled up our sleeping bags and reminded each other, the boss may come today. There is no predicting when Jesus will return. The Bible tells us this, not even the Son knows, only the Father. So a mighty church is packed and ready to go at any time. Because the King may come today. We may never get to camp this afternoon, Tony. What a camp we'd have then, though. Are you ready? Are you ready? Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you accepted Him as your Lord and accepted Him as your Savior? If not, it's time to start packing. It's time to start packing. This world is going down the toilet <laughs> in a hurry. There are times as people of God that we look at the things that happen around us and we see all the things that are occurring in this world and we wonder, God, can we make a difference? Yes. Yes, we can. We can make a difference. If one life is changed by how God uses you, if one life is changed by how God uses me, then we have made a difference in this world. What you're doing is generational. I've told you this before. Generation after generation after generation is going to know the Lord because you knew the Lord, you followed the Lord, you said those two words that we got to learn to say, yes, Lord, when He called. If the Lord uses you, if the Lord uses me, and He will, lives will be changed. And regardless of how bad, guys, I'm telling you, it's bad out there, isn't it? It's going to get a whole lot worse. It's going to get a whole lot worse. Can we still make a difference in a world that's going to H-E double toothpicks in a handbasket? Yes, we can. I believe with all my heart that God is still on the throne. I believe with all my heart that Jesus still changes lives. I believe with all my heart that God still uses common everyday folk to build His kingdom. So the question again I have for you today, are you packed and ready? Not just for camp, but are you packed and ready 
for the time when those skies do split and everything that I talked about, which is probably not right because I can't do it justice, when that time comes, are you packed and ready? I believe we're on the verge of a major movement of God in the United States of America. I believe with all my heart that God is going to use us to be a part of that. I believe there's going to be another awakening before Jesus returns. And I believe, I believe, I believe He wants you to be a part of it too. Are your bags packed? Are you ready? Have you girded up your loins as the Bible tells us, which, which in common everyday thing was if you got your shoes tied and you're ready to run? Are you ready for what God is going to do in you? I believe it. I believe it. I believe it with all my heart.